0: The Expats received some recognition this past week from CBC Radio. For our listeners outside of Canada who might not know, and I guess also for listeners in Canada who don't know, CBC is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. They have a show that plays every Tuesday and Saturday called Podcast Playlist. And on the show, they feature podcasts from around the world centered around a particular theme for a given episode. Their most recent show featured six adventurous podcasts about travel and they chose Expats episode 27 as a feature. And in that interview, I spoke with Han Vincent about living her life in Norway. Check out cbc.ca slash radio slash podcast playlist to listen to the episode. The segment on the expats starts at about the 24 minute mark. Huge thanks to Podcast Playlist for the recognition. And to any and all listeners of the show, Thanks for tuning in. You can always reach us at info at expatspodcast.ca if you want to tell us what you think of the show or, you know, uh, any expats that we should be interviewing. Also, please let us know how you feel about the expats by leaving us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, on with the show. I don't know about you. But when I think of the Middle East, I typically think of places like Israel, Dubai, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. Until very recently, Qatar really wasn't on my radar. But thanks to this show's guest, I've been thinking about and researching Qatar a lot more lately. It's an Islamic country that was ruled from 1871 to 1915 by the Ottoman Empire. In 1916, the British took over Qatar as a protectorate until about 1971 when Qatar regained its independence. The country is a hereditary monarchy that's been ruled by the House of Tani since the 19th century. But here's one of the facts that really blew me away about Qatar. In 2013, it was estimated to have a population of 1.8 million people. 278,000 of those people are Qatari citizens, but fully 1.5 million of them are expats. That means that 83% of the people living in Qatar are actually from somewhere else. Lonely Planet, says the capital, Doha, is threatening to eclipse Dubai as the Persian Gulf's most dynamic city. And that's where we're headed now, to the capital of Qatar, the fastest growing city in that country right here, on The Expats. Welcome to the expats. I'm your host Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Ali Ahmad's upbringing in Canada by his Pakistani parents certainly prepared him for life in the Middle East, but his career as a hotshot lawyer is ultimately what landed him and his family in Doha.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't call myself a hotshot lawyer <laughs> working in a industrial uh, aluminum plant. Oh, okay. Um, and doing the uh, legal and compliance work over here so uh, yeah it's been about five years here uh, I live in Doha but then I commute out it's kind of like the same setup as Edmonton and Fort Saskatchewan and wow. a similar setup like that
0: okay and and how long have you lived in the Middle East because you didn't you didn't move from Canada to Qatar right no so it's it's
1: been eight years in the Middle East uh, I originally I spent three years in Dubai uh, I moved there. Uh, from Calgary so I moved my first move was Calgary to Dubai uh, with a law firm called Afridian Angel and uh, I'd spent three years over there and then through a Canadian connection a lawyer that I worked with in Calgary who just happened to be working for the company I'm working for now um, he was on a secondment here and he suggested that I come over so uh, it was around the right time in my life I had a daughter uh, and the way I worked in the law firm was they weren't really providing family benefits. It was sort of just, you know, your salary. Whereas over in Doha, working for a semi-government company, they provide, you know, the full expat package. So they're providing housing and schooling, uh, transportation, uh, flights home. Wow. So it was a good opportunity at sort of the right time uh, in my life. And uh, and we went for it and haven't looked back since.
0: That's cool. Now, your your initial move from Calgary to uh, Dubai, was that a tough decision to make? Or was it just kind of a natural next step for you?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a natural next step. Uh, I think what I'd just finished articling and been working for about six months. And in my long term plan, it always been to come to the Middle East uh, and do a, a stint abroad. Now, as it happened, the middle east uh, the law firm that i eventually ended up going to was recruiting heavily out of canada so at the time that i joined they would picked up three other lawyers uh, from canada and there was already uh, four other lawyers in that same firm who were canadian so by the time i got there there was eight to ten of us and we're talking about a firm of about uh, Thirty-five people, maybe th- 30, 30 lawyers, and eight of them were from Canada. Whoa! So it it uh, it was just the opportunity came about at the right time when, um, a lot sooner than I thought it was uh, was going to come. Uh, I'd been through the Middle East previously uh, on on holiday, and I had a look around. And it really kind of opened my mind, opened my eyes up to what the opportunities were abroad, and that it seemed like a really good blend of, uh, you know, the Western kind of development and a little bit of the Eastern sensibility. So, I mean, I'd I'd looked at it being like this was a long-term goal. Was I'd like to get out here? Uh, It came a lot sooner than I expected it to, but uh, I was ready to make the move. I mean, I remember. I was playing, the last few years that I was in Canada, I'd taken up cricket, and I was playing in Riley Park in Calgary, uh, in a league that played every Wednesday, and it just so happened for about three or four weeks, every Wednesday it was raining. Uh, We just got torrential downpours every time we were supposed to have a a, a game, and I just was like, enough's enough, I mean every time we try to get out to, you know, it's a beautiful park, but every time we try to get out, we get rain. So I thought, I'm going to go somewhere where it hardly ever rains. (laughs) And uh, that, and then we went out, uh, went out over here to Dubai and it's, you know, it rains, you know, for one week of the year, maybe two weeks of the year. Wow. Uh, So uh, it's good to get away from, from that kind of weather.
0: Yeah, actually in the, in the link to your bio that, or that story on your, your company's website that you sent, I like the last line where it says you don't you don't miss shoveling snow. Yeah, it's, a uh, you
1: know, I haven't experienced winter in eight years. I think the closest that I came to it was uh, uh, our friend Mark's wedding was in April. Uh, and I came back for that. I think this is now about four years ago. And it snowed in April. Uh, <laughs> and so that was the first time, you know, my daughter had seen sort of a little sprinkling of snow. Uh, but that tells you a little bit about, you know, the weather we're used to back home is that even in April, it was still snowing. So yeah. it's not like I had to come back in December or January.
0: Yeah, anytime. Um,
1: in April, when you expect to see uh, flowers, uh, uh, maybe maybe a bit of rain, we were still getting snow at that time.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. Now, obviously, having a daughter's got to open your eyes to uh, to the way the world looks and feels. When you tell her about Canada or when she comes here and sees snow, what kind of reaction do you get out of her? Yeah, I
1: think I think when she saw snow uh, the first time, she was pretty amazed. But she's young and I don't uh, I mean, she's six now, but the time she came, it was about two years old. So uh, I don't know how much she remembers of it. And she does occasionally say, oh, well, I'd like to I'd like to see snow uh, again. And we'll and we'll likely do that, whether, you know, going into the Alps or going back to um, going back to Canada in, in the winter time, I think sort of more broadly. If I more broadly, I don't see that she sees a massive difference between being in Canada and being over here in the Middle East. At least not yet. Yeah. Um, so maybe down the road when uh, she's a little bit further in his, in her schooling and. You know, gets a little bit older. Maybe she'll have more of a sense of what the differences are. But so far, in all of our trips, uh, there hasn't been a huge culture shock. I think you know some of her cousins uh, pick up on the slightly British way she says a few things, um, <laughs> and my and my tease her about that. But for the most part, I think it's it's been completely fine. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how that how that goes on and how sort of her own culture gets shaped. The longer we spend out here.
0: Yeah. What about you? I, I mean, you grew up in Canada. What was uh, was there some kind of culture shock for you moving from from Canada to the Middle East? You know, I wouldn't say there was a massive culture shock. Uh, I think part of what helped for me
1: was that uh, you know my parents immigrated from Pakistan, so I've grown up as a Pakistani Canadian. Uh, and, and so uh, also, you know, come from a Muslim background, coming to a Muslim country, a lot of the things that, you know, people might find shock, uh, find, find difficult to deal with or difficult to adjust to uh, were were things I, were, I was already familiar with. So, you know, I know a lot of my Canadian friends who are out there complain that, you know, it's so, so difficult to find pork care. Well, that was a non-issue for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, And um, then, you know, we're dealing with a a lot of nationalities here. So, you know, there's in my company alone, we have somewhere along the lines of over 40 nationalities. Wow. Uh, But, you know, when you a a big chunk of the people here are from the Asian subcontinent. And so I've interacted with people like that my whole life. Um, You know, my parents, friends you know, from that generation. So, I mean, I understand how, um, you know, a little bit of their mindset. Uh, and that's, I think, what, you know, people will struggle, you know, coming from Canada the first time, who don't have that sort of background, we'll struggle with that kind of adjustment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other thing, too, is uh, if you're relatively patient, easygoing, it's a lot easier to adjust here than if, you know, you're a very particular person, uh then I think it's a little bit more of a challenge because the you know, things don't work as smoothly as uh they do you know back in north america uh it's It's harder to explain to people what you want. I think the standards of you know things like trades are a little bit lower uh, services and restaurants so I mean all of those kinds of things require a lot of patience because you won't get exactly what you want uh, you know unless you're really willing to fight and argue for it uh, so it's like kind of a different uh, a different whole different mindset uh, over here in terms of you know those kinds of those kinds of services and what you can expect in terms of building standards and all that sort of stuff yeah uh, so i i wasn't coming from that i'm not a super particular uh, you know a, Things that are a good standard, that's okay for me. And if you have to wait a little bit longer for for different services or queues, and, and that's generally fine. But if you know if you're impatient in particular, then it can be a real challenge to be over here.
0: So, could you give me an example of some of those differences? Nothing, nothing major, but like going into what's it, what's an experience like dining in a restaurant, for example, is that dramatically different? No, I wouldn't say
1: so. So, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the big restaurant chains are here. But I, I mean, I guess, yeah, I think when you when you go to kind of the higher end restaurants, the the standard is uh, similar or maybe even better because there's a lot there'll be a lot more staff around. Staff yeah. is not the same expense that it is in in North America. So what you might find is, you know, in a in a higher end restaurant is that actually you get too much attention. You know, there are a lot of people loitering around. Kind of standing in front of your, uh, by your table, you might, you might have that experience as well. You know, at the kind of the fast food level, of course, you know, fast food is all about standardization, but then, you know, some of the play areas may not be as clean as you might expect them to be. And so, you know, I've had the experience of kind of shuttling my kids away from the play area and saying, okay, well, let's, uh, let's avoid that this time around. So it's, it's kind of like subtle differences. I mean, but I don't know, uh, I haven't been in a, in a play area at a McDonald's in Canada for some time, so I don't know what the standard is over there either. But I have a feeling those it's, are just like kind of little things like that. Yeah,
0: I have a feeling the standard is uh, is probably very similar. Tell me about uh, Doha. What what's what is there to do there? Is it a great place to raise a family? You know, I I find it is
1: particular. Uh, you know, our comparison was Dubai, and I think a lot of about what we like about uh, Doha has more to do about. You know my work as opposed to the place itself. So uh, I was working in a, a law firm in Dubai, which uh, you know had relatively longer hours. Here in in Qatar, working for the plant, I've got more of a, a set schedule. So more of an eight hour uh, eight hour schedule. So I find I have a lot more time. Uh, I think the other difference over. I mean, if I could make a kind of Canadian comparison, I would say, you know, Dubai maybe compared to Toronto and Doha is very much like Edmonton was. So it's a lot smaller. People tend to live in uh, more so in in villas or houses than they do in high-rise apartments. So I, I went to school in Toronto. And so that was my uh, my impression over there. My first impression over there was seeing, well, there's lots of high-rises and I lived in a high-rise and it's sort of a different, um, a different mindset or a different kind of vibe to the city when you have that kind of dense population, public transport, all of those kinds of things that go along with it.
0: Mm. As, comp-
1: as compared to, say, you know, Edmonton, where uh, a lot more residential communities, it's a little bit more laid back, uh, a little bit more family oriented, I find um, friends were getting together uh, a lot more often. And much easier to get people together. So that's very much what Doha is like for us. Is that it's very easy to get people together. It's uh, a little bit la- more laid back. There's less of a uh, uh, competing with the Joneses in Doha as a as a, compared to Dubai. Um, and I think while there is good uh, decent nightlife in Doha, it's not like Dubai, and it's not as centered uh, the way Dubai would be on you know going out and. Uh, and and that in that scene which is amazing in dubai so you know we still have family there and we're able to go and visit uh and enjoy that and then come back home and kind of have a more relaxed and family setting so uh, i think that's probably the best comparison that, that i can make um is is that toronto edmonton comparison and so i mean living in both cities i mean i loved growing up in uh, in edmonton um and you know tell people it's a great place to grow up and i think you know that's kind of my view of what Doha is, is I think, you know, my kids are kind of getting a little bit of what that experience was.
0: That's cool. Now, you're working for a company that, that uh, also has, um, I can't remember if it's ownership or what, but from Norway. So, and, and you know, you're kind of living in a in a spot in the world where you have access to some of these great large cities. Are you doing a lot of traveling either for business or with your family?
1: Yeah, we have been doing a lot of um, a fair bit of traveling. So we, um, my company is a is a fifty fifty joint venture between the local state oil company and a a Norwegian partner, Norwegian technology partner. So um, one of the nice things here is that, of course, we've got that influence from Europe and you know the governance standards. Uh, That has been a big part of my role is to try to bring that those kinds of uh, that kind of sensibility to the to the company. Uh, in terms of travel, uh, I've mean, you know been got a chance to see Norway uh, several times. I've uh, been to Sweden uh, through work. I've been to uh, the Netherlands through work. Uh, also to Hong Kong, uh, Germany. Uh, so I've I've done that a bit of traveling in Europe uh, through through the company. Uh, in terms of our family travel, I mean we've been to. Singapore, Singapore, uh, a couple of times, uh, we've, we've done a uh, number of countries in the Middle East, and you know, UK, uh, back to Canada quite a bit. And then while well, I've been in the Middle East, I've gone to you know, Vietnam, Nepal, and uh, Egypt. So we've, we've tried to try to see uh, the way we kind of break up our holidays, or, you know, we make one big trip back to North America. So, you know, the US, Canada, maybe through, through England. Um, then we do one smaller trip in the Far East, and then maybe we'll end up in um, Pakistan in December for some weddings. Uh, so, I mean, one of the nice things uh, here as well is when you have an expat community kind of set up or companies know that you're expats, uh, you can take big blocks of holidays. Yeah. Um, so, I've, you know, my last vacation was six weeks. Uh, I've been gone from, for seven weeks, uh, other times just taking stat holidays together with my regular holidays. And then we managed to get, you know, two or three pretty reasonable vacations in a year, which is something I don't think, you know, uh, definitely something you couldn't do in a, uh, when I worked in a law firm in in Canada, you know, if you could be away for, you know, six weeks, then they probably don't need you. So uh, that was very much the mindset. But here I think people understand that, okay, if you need to travel a day to get somewhere, you can't just stay there for, Uh, Two weeks, you know, you need to be there for a month. So that's totally within the culture of uh, of travel over here, which is really nice.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I've got a I've got a colleague at work whose whose partner works at a law firm, and uh, he could take as much time off as he wanted as long as he hit his sort of hourly quotas. But he won't give himself more than two weeks off a year, which to me sounds absurd yeah that that was that's not uncommon uh, because it's the same idea. I mean,
1: you have as much holidays as you want, but you know if you're if you're on the billable hour, then realistically speaking, you know there's so many hours you can bill in a in a day. And so when you do the math on it, you know anything more than two weeks and you end up you know not hitting your target at the end of the year. So then you have this trade-off between your vacation time and your uh, and your work target at the end of the day, and so one of the things I was really keen to do was to get away from the billable hour, get away from that, you know, that grind, having that pressure over you to say, well, you need to bill, you know, eight hours a day, and yeah. have that be the measure of your work. Um, and so that's something I've, I've, as I was saying, part of what we like about Doha is that uh, I'm, a, I'm away from that now and have something a little bit more predictable and steady. And I think you know when you have young kids. Uh, predictable and steady is good.
0: Yeah. It sounds like uh it sounds like I'm I'm really starting to get to get a grasp of what you mean by laid back. But I guess, you know, you're not working necessarily for a law firm, you're working for a company. And and I guess that's also a different lifestyle as well.
1: Yeah, and so that's what I, I mean I'm sure there are and where I know that there are people here who are working, you know, the same kind of the same hours that you might work at any of the more demanding jobs at home yeah um but that that hasn't been that hasn't been my experience so i'm just a little bit you know i want to be a little bit cautious about it to say well it, this is because of doha it's not i think a large part of of it is just due to you know where i'm working and the uh, the type of environment it is and you know, manufacturing has very steady predictable hours so but i think I don't know whether, whether sort of a similar type of role would be available back home yeah. um, or how it would work that way. So this is just something I've um, I found and, you know, it's worked out really well.
0: Yeah. Now, speaking of back home, um, I like asking this question of most of my guests. Um, other than friends and family, is there anything that, that feels distinctly Canadian that you maybe you're missing a little bit in Doha?
1: Yeah, it's, t- it's a tough question to answer. I mean, because if you think about the main things that that I miss, it's more friends and family than everything else. Uh I think it's hard to find a good poutine out here. Um <laughs> so that's that's something something that I would miss. I think when you you know, crisp mountain air is something that uh that I really enjoy when I when I come back uh because it's relatively humid and dusty, you know, throughout the Middle East. So when you get that burst a mountain air, um, first time and go home. That's, that's always really nice. Yeah. Uh, the, the greenery is, um, uh, in, you know, in, even in a place like Edmonton, uh, in Calgary, which I think are both, uh, you know, pretty cities or, so that's something that when we go back, that's one of the first things that strikes us is that there's greenery everywhere. Uh, I remember we were, one of our trips we were in toronto driving on the on near the 401 and you know my wife was like wow it's so green and quite literally we were on the 401 (laughs) and she was commenting on the patch of grass between the highway and the uh, and the the exit (laughs) uh, which is like you know mostly weeds but it's we're so starved of that you know the the greenery that you kind of take for granted that's that's everywhere. I mean, of course, there's uh, there's patches here, but it's it's only when you come over come over here, kind of get used to how gray and dusty it is, or beige and dusty it is, and then come back home and see the greenery. That's just sort of taken for granted that um, you really enjoy it a, a lot more. And and those are my impressions of every time I kind of get into Europe and kind of encounter a little bit of the same thing. Uh, I enjoy it a lot, and that's something I think I would miss a
0: great deal. So you've been uh, on this journey uh, away from Canada for um, how long now in total? Yeah,
1: so it's been it's been eight years. So I left uh, mid of 2008.
0: And do you see a future at all where you would return to Canada, or is your, or is your life now out there in the Middle East?
1: You know, I, I think eventually it's something we would uh, – we'd strongly consider, you know, there's, there's kind of different factors that go into it. I think one of the things we'd probably look at is um, our kids' education, um, you know, whether we're happy with the schooling, and I think more happy about the sort of people they're becoming, because I think that's, uh, you you don't know, right? And there's, there's a particular environment over here, kind of particular set of, uh, there's a particular set of kind of people who are expats uh, tend to be transient. Uh, so, you know, she's already had the experience in grade two of having close friends leave. Mm. Um, and so, I, I mean, it's something we look at and uh, that we think about a lot is that, you know, how is that kind of background going to affect um, who she is as a person, you know, the relationships she has with people, and um, for my son as well. So I think, you know, who's a little bit younger, not in school yet. So I think that's what we'll... You know, would be one of the drivers going back. I think you know, aging parents is a, is another issue. Um, so if if that could be a driver to come home, you know, as of right now, there is there's no push. I mean, my my wife isn't from Canada, so there's, you know, and I think a, a challenge a lot of people expats will face is that you know, one of the partners will say, "I want to go back home," yeah, uh, but I don't have that driver, uh, and my wife's family is in the Middle East as well, so. You know, as long as things continue to be uh, to continue to go well here, there's no real push to get back. But then, one of the other things too is that the Middle East changes very quickly. You know, residency permits are dependent on jobs, and it's very fluid right now. Uh, oil prices have uh, had the same kind of impact in uh, Doha as they have had in, in Calgary. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the environment, uh, you know, economically is not great for everyone. So, I mean, let's see. But as long as things are going well, I think our plan is to to stay here and to try to give our kids as stable a platform as we can for for them.
0: It sounds like Ali and his family are well-suited to life in the Middle East, and unless they experience dramatic change, they're there to stay. That concludes this episode of The Expats. If there are any expats you think I should be speaking with, have them email me at info at expatspodcast.ca or send me an email yourself. And let's keep building this global network of Canadians living abroad. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to The Expats on the iTunes Music Store, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. And make sure you leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks.